Hey there, thanks for tuning in to St. John's Asheville Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope, and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. Well, uh, just a few days ago, uh, Micah Australia uh, published some interesting figures uh, about how safe Australians feel. It seems that in 2010, about 90% of us, a little over, felt generally safe. Uh, but in 2022, that has dropped almost to half. Uh, 53% of Australians apparently feel safe today. Now, we could talk a lot about that, but I'm just opening up the thought that we've had quite a torrid couple of years, haven't we? Um, there's been fires and floods, there's been the pandemic, and then Ukraine happened. And uh, Ukraine in particular uh, has been an assault uh, on our senses because we've seen schools and shelters and hospitals mercilessly targeted by Russian forces. Thousands of innocent lives have been lost, women and children scrambling for trains and buses to freedom, only to be at grave risk of being trafficked once they arrive in what they believe is a safe country. And I guess the question that I want us to think about this morning is, how do we manage this individually? How do we we deal with this? What do we do when we look at the world and we see evil thriving and God seems to be absent? What do we do with those nagging and persistent questions of how we rationalise this experience of what we see? And today we want to listen to Psalm 10 and what God says to us in that passage. And I suppose if there was ever a book in the Bible that somehow sanctified the persistent and nagging questions that we ask of God, it would have to be the book of Psalms, right? Uh, They're honest, these Psalms. Uh, They don't shirk away from the pointy end of life. And they never sugarcoat questions with things like just believe and receive or too blessed to be stressed. Or it's not an obstacle, it's an opportunity. We've all heard it, right? How does Psalm 10 deal with evil? Verse 1. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The writer looks at his world and it cuts him to the heart. And he finds himself saying, where are you, God? What what is going on here? So how does this ancient writer answer his own question? Now, before I open that up, I want us just to observe something about the presence of the question. Because if we believe what we say about the scriptures, the scriptures are inspired, the scriptures are the word of God, the scriptures are the means, the primary means to which 
the Spirit speaks to us, we really should be asking the question of why did God put this question in the Bible? Why do we hear this question today? Why has it been preserved for thousands of years for us to think about the reality of that question that sat upon the shoulders of this psalmist 3,000 years ago, let's say? And I think questions like this are in the scriptures because God wants us to know something very important. And the thing that God wants us to know is that it's okay to have questions. The questions themselves are a healthy thing. Imagine if Ukraine happened or pandemic happened or the floods or the fires happened and we just shrugged and said, well, that's how it is. That's just life. C'est la vie. God wants us to know that sometimes we have to live with difficult tensions, with seemingly irreconcilable things happening in our mind and in our heart. God wants us to know that it's okay to look at the world and be confronted by things that are not okay, to be troubled by that, to have that sit deep within us and disturb us. God wants us to know that it's okay to see what's going on and say, God, where are you? What is, what is, why is this happening? So the psalmist asks that question because of what he sees in the world. Have a look, verses 2 to 6. In his, arrogant, in his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. Now, what the psalmist sees could refer to numerous situations, correct? It could refer to domestic violence. It could refer to uh, police abuse of power. It could refer to online sexual exploitation of children that I've referred to earlier. It can refer to human trafficking. It could refer to military aggression. It could refer to so many things that we see in our world. And he's looking at all of those realities and he's asking, who will stand up to this evil? I mean, think of, think of Putin. Blasting Ukraine to smithereens. Wikipedia tells me he has 4,400 nuclear warheads in his back pocket. Every time this man flexes his military muscle, he crushes weak and vulnerable people. And he thinks no one will care. No one will bother about the people that he's invading. And he thinks he can act with impunity. As we read in Psalm 10, 
He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. God covers his face and never sees. Now, it's not just Putin who says that God will never notice. It's not just Putin who thinks that he can get away with it. We hear this every day at International Justice Mission from slaveholders and traffickers and abusers and exploiters of women and children and men and boys all over the world. Violent people think they can just carry on with impunity. They don't think anyone will ever stand up to them. And so as the psalmist asks this question, where are you, God, and what are you doing? He's actually legitimizing the questions that we have. So if you're here today and you're struggling with what you see happening in the world or you're struggling with what is going on in your life, you're struggling with, with, with a sense of something or somebody powerful taking advantage of who you are and you're asking, where are you, God? It just shows that you're a person of faith. And in a sense, your questioning brings you together with God's people all through the ages. People who've been seeing evil and calling out to God and asking and pleading with him to act. It's good that we struggle with these things because these questions are really God's invitation for us to trust him, for us to recognise who he really is. So how does Psalm 10 call us to trust God in the face of evil? Well, the psalmist wants us to be honest about what we see in the world, but he also wants us to discern another reality. He wants us all, as people of faith, to discern the reality of the kingdom of God, to discern the reality of God's sovereign rule, which can only be, I suppose, perceived and received by faith. Because people of faith say that the God we worship is paying very close attention to what's actually happening in the world, not just what happened at the time of Psalm 10, not just what happens over in Ukraine or in the Philippines or in Southeast Asia. He's paying very close attention to what is happening to us and in our lives. And it's not just passive observation. God takes it to hand, we read here. He takes it to hand in the sense of God saying, right, I see, I see what's going on here. I know you're troubled, I know you're anxious, I know you're fearful. 
leave it with me and I will intervene, I will act, I will bring justice. Verse 14. But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it to hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Verse 17. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. You listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. God hears and God sees. It's always been that way. God saw Israel, you might remember, as they were slaves in Egypt. And back then, Pharaoh, if, it was, uh, if we can imagine, was worse than Putin. He had all power. No one could stand up to him at all. Millions were being crushed in slavery. Evil was thriving. Whole generation of boys were thrown into the river. God seemed absent. And people were asking, is anything ever going to change? But then as now, remember that the reality that we see, the reality that we see in our world is not the only reality at play. That what we see happening in our lives is not the sole determiner of everything that is going on in the world. Because God saw what was happening in Egypt. God heard the cry of his people. God was concerned at the slavery and the abuse and the oppression that they were undergoing. And God intervened and set his people free. So if you're here today and you're burdened by the reality of evil, if you're broken by what appears to be the impunity enjoyed by those who violate the poor and the vulnerable, God says to you today, I hear you. I see you. I know your pain. I know your fear. I know your anxiety. I am with you. And I find that incredibly comforting because it tells me I'm not alone. It tells me I'm I'm not forsaken. It tells me my world is not forsaken. It tells me I'm not without a friend. It tells me there's someone who understands God no what is happening in my mind and in my heart. So the psalmist is calling us to trust the God who can act, who does act, who is acting. And we know this is true. And I guess the question is, well, how do we know it's true? What proof do we have that God is dealing with injustice? What's the greatest injustice that we can think of? Well, I think it would have to be the perfect son of God going to the cross. That's the greatest injustice, isn't it? Jesus, the son of God, suffering in my place. Jesus dying my death. Jesus bearing my punishment. Dealing with it, taking it away, obliterating any case 
that I had to answer before God. And if I think of Jesus' death on the cross, I I think when he was crucified, what was going on in the minds of his disciples? What were they thinking on the Saturday between the Friday and the Sunday? Because their Messiah was dead. They would have been distraught. They would have been overcome with grief. Their dreams were dashed. Their hope was gone. But on the Sunday, everything changed. On the Sunday, this Jesus rose from the dead, victorious over every malevolent force. That second passage that Mario read with us says, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority power and dominion, far above every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet, all things, and appointed him to be the head over everything. Why? For the church, for the people of God which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, that's a sermon in itself, and I won't get started on that passage, but the reality is there, isn't it? It's, it's not a, an aspiration, it's not a hope, it's a reality. Jesus has triumphed over the darkest evil. He's triumphed over all sin and the stench of the fall. He's victorious over all of it. This Jesus will bring an end to all injustice. He will bring an answer to all impunity. One day, Vladimir Putin will stand before the throne of this Jesus and give an account for what he has done. One day, you and I will stand before this Jesus. Our hope is in this Jesus. And so we can pray with this psalmist, break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. Sometimes praying a prayer of imprecation has as much comfort as praying a prayer of hallelujah. Because we know that the answer to what we see in the world lies at the foot of the cross. So how will Jesus bring an end to this evil? Well, first of all, he does it through the mysterious working of his sovereign power by which he brings everything into conformity with his will. That's the textbook answer. But secondly, he does it in the not-so-mysterious but equally powerful work of his people. God rules his world through Jesus, ruling his people. And now, as then, 
God, through Jesus, is raising up a people to embody his kingdom and to proclaim his rule. That's our calling as the people of God. We're a new community, we're his church, and we're called to seek justice for those who are defenceless and vulnerable. It's a refrain that goes right through the scriptures. And at IJM, we see God doing this, intervening through his people, not just on rare occasions, but we see it day after day after day. God is breaking the arm of the wicked man through IJM's mission, not only through our mission, but certainly through our mission. God is working through us to break down forced labour uh, chains in uh, Southeast Asia. God is working through us to bring an end to online sexual exploitation of children in the Philippines. God is working through us to smash child labour rings on Lake Volta in Ghana. And God is working through us to help bring safety to millions of people seeking refuge in Eastern Europe. Our team in Romania is constantly at work seeking to raise awareness, training and educating people about signs of trafficking. It's incredibly important. Most people don't realise they've been trafficked until it's too late. So we're on the front line, bringing an awareness of the dangers of trafficking in that context. IJM Romania is bringing trauma-informed care to people who are, who are terribly um, impacted by the war and what's been happening in Ukraine. IJM's providing legal expertise in complex cases of people crossing the border without documentation. And our team is supporting physical needs and enabling safe transport so that people can get to those places where they can begin their work of restoration. See, God has always used his people to embody his kingdom. And as we work through the duly appointed channels to break the arm of the wicked, to bring an end to everyday violence against those who are poor, now, that doesn't mean that problems just go away. Because sometimes we need to persist and we need to be courageous. And we need to do that being confident of the faithfulness of God. Trusting that justice will come once and for all when Jesus returns. Sometimes our teams are put in incredible danger. It's been five years since some of our team uh, was actually killed in Kenya, seeking to defend uh, a case of police abuse of power. Three people, our lawyer, um, our driver, and the person they were seeking uh, to have cases over, uh, charges, invalid charges overturned against. We must pursue this justice, even in context of danger even if we don't see an immediate change in our earthly circumstances. You know, some time ago, uh, somebody asked Nobel laureate Desmond Tutu 
about, I thought I had to quote an Anglican coming to an Anglican church. Someone asked him about the deepest days of apartheid in South Africa. Days when people were routinely rounded up and imprisoned and beaten and often killed. Days when it seemed like things weren't working. It seemed like they would never be free. And people asked Tutu, they said, well, how do you keep doing this work? How do you keep seeking justice when nothing seems to be working? When the strong arm of evil just keeps getting stronger, when so many people of your own are are dying? And Tutu's response was a classic. He said, we have read to the end of the book and we win. And it's true, isn't it? Our faith in Jesus is, is not only a trust in his resurrection, that he rose from the dead on the third day, as we have just confessed in the words of the Apostles' Creed, but we trust his reign even now, even today, that he's on the throne and he rules our world. He holds us in the palm of his hand. He will not let any of us be snatched away. We must trust him as evil seems to thrive. And until his return, we will keep seeking justice because in the end, we win. In the end, we are on the side of the victor. We're on the side of the victor today. The God who sees and the God who hears and the God who acts is working through us and he will keep working through us. Keep working through people like you and me. And that's why in a moment, I'm going to ask you to take a courageous step. I'm going to ask you to consider supporting the work of International Justice Mission. And uh, before we do that, um, I'm just going to pray that God will bless this ministry of the word um, before we move into the next section. Almighty God, we thank you so much that as many of us used to sing when we were children, you have the whole world in your hands. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust your sovereign power as we see terrible things unfolding before us. Help us to trust you as good people seem to suffer in our world. Help us to trust you as we ourselves, sometimes troubled by disasters or injury or even violence, at the hands of others. Help us to trust that you are a good God, that you do care, that you are powerful, that you are working, that you are bringing justice on the face of the earth and that ultimately, Jesus, when you return, justice will reign supreme for you will wipe every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things will have passed away. Until then, have us do your work, have us seek your justice, and have us live as your people, embodying your kingdom. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, as we, um, as we seek justice, um, we've already learned that Jesus assures us that we're on the right side of history. And... Uh, As we are here today uh, thinking about the work of International Justice Mission, 
um, I want to invite you to become a Freedom Partner with us. It's one of the most effective things you can do, one of the most concrete things uh, you can do to bring freedom to people in our world today. Because every person who becomes a Freedom Partner, um, and there are these uh, brochures uh, near you, this is a general brochure about our work, and this is the Freedom Partner uh, form. Everyone who becomes a freedom partner, joins the fight to end modern slavery. And the truth is that people like you uh, and I, we are the primary support base for our mission, individuals and churches. And if IGM is to continue our work, if we're to bring more people to freedom, if we're to put more traffickers and slave drivers behind bars, if we continue this work of ongoing transformation of justice systems. We're going to need more and more freedom partners. Actually, I'll just go to that clip in a moment. Um, why do we need freedom partners? Because it takes about 25 freedom partners to fund investigators uh, who are fighting online exploitation of children um, just for a year. And with hundreds and thousands of uh, abusers on the web at any one time, what could be more important? It takes about 35 Freedom Partners to cover the annual costs of our support teams in Romania as we bring the necessary legal and medical services, counselling and social work to bear on those who are suffering. So by becoming an IGM Freedom Partner, you'll be playing a critical role in our work and uh, we can't do this work without you. So what's the commitment? Well, you're committing to pray regularly. Each week you'll receive a prayer update from IJM uh, that will tell you what God's doing around the world to bring justice. It will draw you into our needs and it will help you celebrate our great wins and victories. And beyond praying regularly, you'll be giving monthly. Uh, your gift of $35 or more is the most concrete thing you can do to rescue people from slavery. So every Freedom Partner helps us take a stand against the powerful who prey on the vulnerable. They help us pursue our mission of justice to rescue the oppressed and to strengthen justice systems where they're most needed. So please join us because it takes a movement of churches and a movement of God's people to end slavery and violence against those who are poor. So as I said, there's a card on your chair. Um, there's, there will be a QR code on the screen. There's even a QR code on the card if you want to do it electronically. Uh, I'm just going to play a short video and uh, then I'll come together and uh, we'll pray this to a close. So while the video is playing, please feel free to fill out the cards and you can give them to me afterward. So thank you again for um, giving me the time to open the word with you and to consider supporting our work at International Justice Mission. Let's just pray briefly and then Richard will be up to take us out. Father God, we, we thank you again for the work of IJM and we thank you that you are at work in our world and we pray that at every opportunity we have, we might be able to declare that you are the God who sees and hears and acts. So God, have us see and hear and act today that we might embody your justice 
in the context in which you place us. Hear us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.